Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey everyone, Dave here. For this week's episode, I'm releasing the other panel that I moderated at the Future of Hearing Health Summit. Um, Last week, I put out the one that was all around device innovation. This one is all around kind of the future of the economics and the innovation around the actual business models in this industry. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to what I think is going to be a great panel discussion here for the Future of Hearing Healthcare virtual conference. I'm joined by four excellent panelists. I will be the moderator. My name is Dave Kemp. I am with Oak Tree Products. I also have a blog and podcast called Future Ear, where I cover the intersection of emerging technology and hearing healthcare. And so to kick things off, I'm going to let our four panelists introduce themselves one by one. So we'll go ladies first, uh, starting with you, Nancy. Okay, thank you, Dave. I'm Nancy Ty Murray. I'm a professor in the Department of Otolaryngology at Washington University School of Medicine. I'm also the CEO and founder of CLEAR, which is the parent company of Amplify. Lovely. And Chris? My name is Chris Cardinal, and I am the COO and president of CLEAR Customized Learning Exercises for Our Rehabilitation. Uh, and uh, as Nancy mentioned, the uh, developers of Amptify Hearing Health Program. Uh, prior to being with Clear, I worked, was a co-founder and CEO of a company called Well2Do, uh, where we de- uh, developed digital therapeutics for chronic disease sufferers. Our main one was for, for migraine sufferers. And uh, I'm happy to uh, bring some of the learnings from the digital health space at large over to the hearing health industry. Awesome. Amin. Yeah, my name is Amin Amlani. Um, I uh, was formerly an academic for about 16 years. I uh, spent the last couple of years in industry, and I have recently opened up a boutique consulting company called Autolithic uh, Consulting. And Dave, I'm happy to be here and uh, looking forward to participating. Perfect. And last but not least, Bob Trainer. Hi, I'm Bob Trainer, and uh, you know, for uh, for a long time, I was an academic uh, as as a mean for many years, and I still do quite a bit of off and on academics as well. But for 46 years, I ran a uh, an audiology clinic in Greeley, Colorado. Uh, sold out a couple years ago, um, and I've always said that after four or five years, you're kind of dead meat in knowing much about anything if you haven't been in practice, and so. Uh, in addition, uh, I'm part of a, these days I have a company called Robert Trainer Audiology, where I do a lot of chaos courses, as well as uh, consult uh, for companies and so on. And it's my pleasure to be here with this, uh, this great group of colleagues to uh, provide interaction over some of the things that we think are going on. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, thank you all for uh, introducing yourselves and for being here today. I'm so excited because I think we have a very diverse set of perspectives, um, you know, into what we're going to be talking about today. So the purposes of this panel is going to really explore the future of the economics of the hearing healthcare industry. 
I think that anybody who's listening to this can attest that there is a lot of change that's happening right now. Um, you know, things are, are moving fast. And so for the sake of the profession and the sake of the industry, I think we're all trying to sort of wrap our heads around what does a lot of this different change entail. And so the five of us are going to talk through, you know, some of the different uh, changes that are happening right now in the industry and how we think that they uh, ultimately might be able to be solved um, and we can all adapt to. So one of the first things, I think one of the most obvious things that's happening is that as more avenues of um, access to hearing solutions exist and open up, um, you know, referencing in particular the OTC Hearing Aid Act, which at some point should uh, officially come into the market. Um, I think that it begs the question, what will happen to the existing business models? Um, you know, will we see a cannibalization of you know, device sales? Will this be an entirely new facet of the market that we haven't really tapped into? Um, and so I wanted to sort of kick things off um, talking about at a high level, uh, the way in which we're sort of interpreting this um, in, in terms of, you know, the existing model, that can be one direction that we go with this. Another would be looking at ancillary services, new services that the professionals can begin to consider incorporating into their practice. So I figure we'll kick things off with that idea with you, Nancy, um, give you an opportunity to speak a little bit more about Amptify and how it, it sort of, um, I think, represents this idea of new services um, that might be catering nicely to this, uh, this new version of, of, of audiology. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I get the question all the time from my compatriots. Why should I go to an audiologist when I can get a hearing aid so much cheaper at Costco's? And um, it, it, it's a question that all audiologists and hearing healthcare professionals are going to have to start answering. And my, um, my answer has been, you are a hearing healthcare professional and not simply a, a dispenser of hearing aids. And so we excel at the diagnostics and what we also, uh, the, gold, the gold standard clinics excel at is follow up in patient care after the hearing aid fitting. And so I've spent a 30 year career developing our rehabilitation strategies and interventions. Um, and I always am confronted with the question or with the roadblock and I, I can't use a better description of, yeah, I believe in oral rehab, my patients want it, but at the end of the day, I've got to make money and I only have so many people in my clinic to provide services. And so I've spent uh, the last five or six years addressing that problem. How do we efficiently and economically provide quality oral rehab to patients once they get the hearing aid? And we came up with Amplify, which is a digital, digital hearing healthcare therapeutic, the very first of its kind. And it has four key components. One is evidence-based auditory brain training games. And I emphasize the words games because historically auditory training has been boring, tedious, and uh, as a result has poor compliance. So we've gamified training. Number two, we have online hearing healthcare professionals providing support and coaching. And with this, I'm addressing the paucity of audiologists 
So instead of going the audiology assistant route, I'm going the uh, certified hearing health care professional who's online. Three, we have a daily interactive curriculum. So you're teaching patients all those things you learned in graduate school about uh, managing communication breakdowns, speech reading tips, uh, counseling. You're having that on a day-to-day -day basis. And then number four, a peer support group. You know, hearing loss is isolating in and of itself. And only somebody with hearing loss can understand what somebody else with hearing loss is going through. So we have group chats, uh, uh, group chat groups. And um, in a very uh, small, if I had to summarize all that in just a very small way, I would say, what we are allowing audiologists to do is to outsource oral rehab to our company, Amptify, and we're providing that online support. And right now, um, we are really pitching to audiologists because we want to enhance what they do. So that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, that's lovely. And I think that um, I want to now go to Chris because I know that your background in digital therapeutics clearly um, you come from outside of this space, but I think that your background is really relevant to today. So how do you see services like Amptify fitting into the overall business model of a professional? Clearly, as Nancy alluded to, you can outsource it, but from a, from a monetary standpoint, how would this be beneficial to the professional? And then maybe a broader representation of how you see Amptify fitting into the longer term vision of this industry. Yeah. So in the immediate, really what, what Amptify does, this digital therapeutic for uh, healthcare or hearing healthcare, uh, is it improves patient satisfaction, um, it reduces the costs associated with managing an R rehabilitation program. It's very expensive to provide AR. Um, the, the clinic right now uh, needs to generate $225 per productive hour uh, and there's only about six productive hours in the day in order to keep their doors open, right? And our rehabilitation is a time-intensive process. And so by us being able to provide that to the patient and not have that audiologist on uh, staff doing that, uh, uh, we are saving the clinic time and money as well as the risks associated with, uh, with their, uh, the staffing and the overheads associated with that. Um, and so that's the immediate benefits to the clinic uh, beyond being able to provide, you know, uh, ASHA and AAA best practices um, in the long term, uh, which is where I like to live a lot. Um, <laughs> there are a number of different factors, as you had mentioned early on, that are putting pressure on the audiologists and on the industry at large. Um, and that includes the changing payment paradigms, the shift with NASA to be uh, covered and get reimbursed for the, uh, for the services. And then we start to get into things like population health management and value-based care and fee-for-service, which is kind of what the structure looks like right now. Um, and so, so in the long term, in the, the bigger picture of where things are going, uh, hearing healthcare, we know that it is costing the system a lot of money. Uh, that if individuals do not get treated with hearing loss, they are generating 46% more uh, costs to the system over a 10-year span. And that's a really big deal. And so we should actually, as an industry, be very excited about the prospect of capturing more of the value that we're creating in the system. Whereas right now, 
generally uh, the revenue that is created is from that distribution of that hearing aid. And so what we're doing is creating a paradigm shift in providing a tool for audiologists to allow them to take advantage, not only in the immediate, but over the long term of these trends in reimbursement and in payments uh, for uh, hearing healthcare. I mean, you're nodding your head. Do you want to? Do you want to follow on to what Chris said there? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. And I'll, I'll take this in maybe a little bit of a different direction. You know, the the market, the market as we know it, we will see two things. I think number one, when the OTCs and the direct to consumer products have a little more uh, regulation, um, we're going to see some cannibalization, uh, in the sense that there's going to be a downward push on price. Now, at the same time, we're also going to see an increase in the number of individuals that are going to be entering the market, which is a huge positive. And, you know, I think we really have to be mindful that the current service delivery model that we have is archaic. And if we don't adjust, we're going to be in trouble. And so, you know, to, to Chris's point and Nancy's point, and I'm sure Bob will have uh, a couple of comments here as well. We have to find new tools, we have to find new mechanisms, and we have to deliver a better service than we ever have in order to uh, really have a value proposition within the healthcare landscape. Bob, why don't you go ahead and, and share your two cents here? Because I think uh, Amin's touching on something here that's um, something that, that you know I know that you can speak to as well. Yeah. My turn. Well, turn. Uh, you know, you don't want to ask an old guy because he's always got more to say for some reason or another. But my uh, my take on on things that are happening, it, it will will kind of take uh, all of my colleagues here on the panel and amplify that just a little bit. Um, you know, I, I and 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 I in, in my talk here at this meeting. You know, we talk a lot about differentiation and how to build a strategy and those kinds of things. But, you know, <clears throat> it was pointed out a couple of years ago, very obviously at AAA by um, Windmill and Freeman and Hall and Freeman and those guys that, that the evaluation that we do for hearing testing, you know, God bless the, uh, the colleagues in the 40s that developed those things because they've lasted... 75 years. But, you know, we really need to be using something that is now from our current generation of researchers, as well as the technology and so on. So we need to change the audiologic evaluation to get more information because we can. We need to uh, do things to um, facilitate better, uh, better uh, interactions with our patients. And and I, you, you, no no longer can you just you know walk in a clinic and have you know have old papers laid around and uh, ring around the collar and uh, and a frayed carpet in the sound room and all these kinds of things. These are bad clues. Um, it doesn't prevent present the professional image. Also, the um, um, the other the other component that I think is really something that 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 Nancy touched on and Chris as well. And, even, and, 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 and it means discussion as well. The whole bottom line is nobody ever teaches young clinicians how to interact with patients. Yes, we might have an oral rehab class, 
but we don't we don't get to know each each individual patient is a different person, and therefore, you know, differentiating your clinic by relationships is huge. I mean, you need to know their personal style. You need to not only know their personal style, but maybe use some motivational interviewing to facilitate your discussions in and out and supplement the kind of oral rehab that uh, Nancy and Chris have referred to. Um, probably the last thing before I monopolize the whole the whole deal here is um, I also think that you need to modify pricing substantially. And, and, and as colleagues have mentioned here, you can't just offer a bundled kind of pricing system because we're going to have people purchasing hearing aids at the grocery store, because we're going to have people purchasing products in your clinic. By the way, you should handle anything that's hearing. Don't just take hearing aids and evaluations. You need to handle anything that's hearing. Anyway, having those kinds of products, and then you need to have an unbundled kind of program for each and every different type of product and each and every different type of patient. Um, and I have about five, five or six other things, but I think uh, some other people ought to talk here a little bit to see where we're going from there. Yeah, no, I think those are excellent points that you mentioned. I mean, from what I'm understanding from all of you is that, um, you know, kind of the status quo is being disrupted, um, you know, not to overuse that term, but I think that, uh, you know, what has worked in the past and a lot of the traditional um, methods of which this, uh, you know, this particular type of experience has been done um, is now being threatened by new ways in which people can access those. Like you said, Bob, you can, you know, probably in the not too distant future, you'll be able to buy a pair of hearing aids or something that resemble them from CVS, Walgreens, or your local grocery store. And so I think it goes back to Nancy's point, which is how do you justify coming and seeing me and maybe charging a premium and or paying a premium as a, as a patient? And so I'm curious to just hear a little bit more on this point as to, you know, in that notion, what are the ways that you can stand apart in being cognizant of the time constraints, because it seems as if one of the biggest challenges for this profession is that you're always limited to the amount of time that you can dedicate to these things. And so you need to figure out how to maximize it. And so obviously you have options like the additional services, but also things such as, you know, figuring out new methods um, or utilizing new technology um, that better maximizes your time. So I'll, I'll take a shot at that to start our round table here. You know, there are only about, what, 14, 15,000 audiologists in this country, and there are 40 some odd million people with hearing loss. So uh, there's plenty of business to go around. And the question is, how, to, how do you maximize the time of the audiologist? And uh, there's a lot of buzz going on about teleaudiology, and I think that is going to be a powerful tool in our toolbox. And that's why we've gotten the direction we're going in uh, with online hearing healthcare professionals who can extend the audiologist's reach. So you can interact with more patients more intimately you know, on a day-to-day -day basis um, and develop brand loyalty. So we're allowing branding within the Amplify product. So when they need their new hearing aid, you're up front and center in their, their brains. So it's a combination of being savvy. Mark 
marketing wise, taking advantage of current and future technology. Um, and I think something that we have a hard time as a profession, and Bob, you just said it, is we are slow to change and slow to adapt things. You know, we've been doing the same thing for 70 years. And that mindset is just has to change. And these young people coming into the field, I hope, are going to bring a new vitality to it. I'll, I'll jump in real quick. You know, I'll, I'll even take this down a, a little bit lower here. And, and the, the question that pops into my mind is, is for these alternative products that <clears throat> are direct to consumer, is there even a need for service? And if we start looking at the literature and we just look at technology as a, as a broad category, you know, there's research that's coming out of Europe and out of Asia. And what we're finding is, is that because of space, those individuals tend to purchase or procure their technology through vending machines. And, and what happens is, is once they've made that purchase, they then seek or prior to seek the assistance or the knowledge or information that is provided by someone who's a specialist in that area. So, you know, going back to the, to the whole conversation here, there's a need to promote the skills and the, the expertise that you have because people are looking for it, not just the product. And I'll jump in. I think that, uh, you know, from, from my perspective, um, as you both have touched on, um, hearing loss challenges uh, exist beyond the ears, right? So we have these comorbidities that need to be managed uh, and that we can reduce the likelihood of, although uh, a lot of the data that we have, let's see, falls in social isolation and depression, it is correlative at this point. Um, we're going down that path, speaking to the choir here, but, um, but, but coaching and providing that ad on benefit, those services, and, and, and arming yourself with the knowledge about those comorbidities and about the steps that you can take as an audiologist or the services that you could provide to address those, like ours, uh, arm yourself with those things. Like, learn about that and, and start to manage the person, not just the ear. You know, I, I have this uh, in, my, in my talk as well, but, you know, Amin taught us a couple of years ago what a provider market segment is, you know, and you have one market segment that's uh, mostly uh, just uh, direct to consumer. You have another market segment that is uh, big box stores and others. Then you have the value segment, which is us. And so the whole thing boils down to how much value do we offer each and every patient that comes into the clinic? You know, um, and, and and we we can't just be the people that sell hearing aids. We, we that's that's been a road we went down, and we need to kind of crawl back from that and and look at all the roads that we could go down. You know, for example, uh, the last couple of years have been involved a lot in uh, hearing conservation, and and I really had no idea that people that present themselves for earplugs, forty seven percent of those patients all need hearing aids. And they're about 20 years younger than the usual and customary patients that we see in the audiology or hearing care clinic. So, so there's a whole market there. Um, the other market was a, a colleague told me the other day uh, who has a practice these days uh, that had it not been for leasing hearing aids, 
he would have really had a hard time during the pandemic era. And uh, leasing, I think, is something else. People don't want to blow seven grand out of their out of their bank account, but they may have 150 or so left over every month from a social security check or 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 other source. So, so between that and uh, and 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 of course, people have branched into tinnitus, uh, which we see happening. My concern with that is they need to have a background in tinnitus and not just a little background. They need to have the right kind of CEUs or the right kind of certificates to interact with tinnitus patients. And I'm sure Nancy's program does uh, some significant things with tinnitus as well as part of the oral rehab program. So, um, um, and, and, and I guess the, uh, uh, the, the, the last area uh, is technology. You know, you can't just squirt a bunch of stuff in somebody's ear to do an impression in, in 2021. We've been doing that since 1957 uh, with one kind of per stuff or another. So technology, the kind of equipment and, and uh, things that you work with in the clinic sends a marketing impression to each and every patient and everybody they talk to. So indeed, uh, in 2021, ear impressions are really scans and you need to, don't break the bank, but you need to maybe hurt just a little bit and get a scanner. Wow, what a marketing tool that is for you and your practice against all the other clinics in the area. Yeah, those are great points, Bob. And so this now concludes the live portion of the panel discussion. Uh, we're going to continue the conversation because we still have a lot of material to cover. So for that, you can head over to YouTube. Uh, we will have a link for you for the remainder of this discussion. So I want to now kind of get back into um, something that Chris had mentioned, which is the comorbidities. Um, I mean, I know you're very familiar with some of the work at Johns Hopkins that Nick Reed and his team is doing with the ACHIEVE trial, um, something that I think might be quite significant uh, to the future of this industry. Um, so if you could maybe speak a little bit to, um, you know, the, the, the kind of the broad picture here um, as it relates to insurance coverage, um, the broader impact of comorbidities on the healthcare system, and how that ultimately might lead to broader insurance coverage for devices and what that might, the implications of that for the, for the professional. Yeah, it, it's an exciting time in audiology. It's a really, really exciting time. Uh, but I'll also preface that, but it's also a scary time because we don't have the rudimentary training for some of this. So I think we have to look at it as a double-edged sword. So let's look at it from the positive. MASA was just reintroduced into Congress yesterday on World Hearing Day. Um, and the hope is, is that, uh, you know, collectively with ADA, ASHA, AAA, and HLAA sponsoring this, uh, we'll have the opportunity to, uh, to become providers, or I hate this word, but I'll use it for now, the gatekeepers for Medicare and uh, allowing us to, uh, to see the patient before they actually see the physician, which is, which is important. Um, and, and reduce some of the costs. Um, in addition to that, as we start looking at some of these comorbidities, you know, it's been, and I, and I don't know where I got this, but uh, in some of the marketing tools, you know, the, the ear is now becoming the window, if you will, to other health issues. 
Uh, so I'm working on a project and what we're looking at is, is diabetes. And if you look at the trajectory of diabetes over age, it correlates at about 80%, right? So you get an R of about 8.8 .8 with the trajectory of hearing loss as a function of age. And so as we're starting to look at our abilities to not only treat hearing, we may have the opportunity to work with other professionals in an interdisciplinary uh, way or interprofessional way where we are now referring to them and they're referring to us. And in order for us to do that, we've got to make some changes as I talked about earlier. So as, as I said, I was an academic, I know Nancy's an academic now and Bob's been one for a while. You know, the educational model has to change. It is not a whole body. Uh, education. You know, we typically just look at the ears, we look at the, the product, and we really miss out on some of the components. So there needs to be a change there. And, and that also then moves into the externships. You know, most of our students do not see medical-based uh, uh, issues. Uh, it's, uh, they typically end up in a, in a private practice that only dispenses devices. And in order for us to get the right experiences for those individuals who are being trained, we probably need to reassess what it takes for an experience to count. And it has to be a little bit of medical, a little bit of rehab, you know, and, and, and some other components as well. Yeah, I want to just, um, I think you touch on something that's really important is the, the whole notion of the workforce um, and the labor force within this profession. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, I mean, um, can you speak again to um, some of the numbers that uh, relate to this? Because I know you've done some research on, you know, back when you first conducted um, some of the research as to what the estimates should have been, I believe it was in 2020, um, in regards to the amount of professionals in the workforce and where we're at and, and how this might also be presenting a bit of a challenge for the industry. Absolutely. So I've got some notes here in front of me, so I give you the right number. So I've, uh, I've been on a, a task force uh, with Victor Bray at Salus University, where we're looking at a workforce analysis of audiology and we're comparing it to other professions. And those are physical therapy, speech language pathology, occupational therapy, and optometry. We started by looking at uh, the BLS, or the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, database. And uh, we started in 1999 because that was the first year that audiology was separated from speech. So that's when our data starts to count. In 1999, and I'm, I'm looking at my notes here, we had 12,950 audiologists as a function of this database. In 2019, there are 13,800 audiologists. We should have, we'll get another graph here, we should have, if we look at the other professions that grow at three and a half percent, and we're not growing at even 1%, but if we look at these other professions that I, I, I pointed out, they're growing at three and a half percent. If we use that three and a half percent benchmark growth, we should have over 22,000 professionals in the, uh, the marketplace assisting or supplying services to the demand that's needed, and we just don't have it. And so the question becomes what's happening, and if you look at some of the other data, and we're not quite there yet, 
the Freeman and um, uh, Windmill paper back in 2013 showed about a 40% attrition rate within five years of, of getting the degree. We have, uh, depending on, on the data that we look at, somewhere between 25 and about 45%. Uh, so the numbers are actually showing that individuals don't stay in the profession for a long period of time. And there's a number of different factors for that. And some of it is due to uh, their home life. Some of it is due to other things that are more attractive. And then of course, the big thing is just the student loan debt that they incur uh, for the degree that they earn. So student loan debt, I think that is maybe at the crux of the whole thing. What do you think, Nancy? Do you think that there are, um, do you think that we need to rethink the way in which the whole AUD is, um, is considered and, and should we just have a, have a bit of a conversation around um, the whole notion of a student incurring hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and then you have this very high you know, attrition rate um, among the labor force. I, I, I feel as if these two are connected and I feel as if you might have some thoughts to this. Uh, I do, and it, it, it's um, a perspective that has maybe not very popular. Um, but, but think about, so I, I recently wrote an article about the student education system, and I made the point that uh, we require students to get four years of undergraduate and then four years of postgraduate education. And so these students come out with just a humongous amount of debt. And so we have put them in a position of having to make a lot of money and having to make it quickly. And that's why we have almost this uh, single focus on selling hearing aids to anybody who comes through the door. And that's probably a harsh way to put it, but, but there is a big focus is I've got to sell so many units each month in order to keep the lights on, fair enough. Um, I personally think that probably a master's degree is a better way to go and then have specialty training as an option thereafter, kind of like the medical residency program. And I'm, I, my perspective is, is that say an audiologist in private practice is never gonna have to perform intraoperative monitoring. So why are we requiring a course in that as part of standard training? Um, an educational audiologist will never probably perform infant screening. So I think if we could change our educational model, uh, we would recreate, um, we would take the onus off of having to earn a lot of money quickly. The other thing that would happen is a downstream effect of possibly reinvigorating the research doctoral program. And my sense is, having been in academia for as many years as I've been, is that fewer and fewer students are pursuing a research doctorate because they've incurred so much expense and spent so much time getting the AUD. And I believe that this is one reason why our diagnostics have stagnated over the last, uh, since 1990, 1990, 1999. About the right time. You could almost say 1919, <laughs> but I guess we're beyond the pitchfork, but um, uh, tuning fork. Um, but I think that's one reason why our practice is stagnated, both in diagnostics and in oral rehab, is because we have fewer uh, talented people doing research. So. That's kind of my soapbox on, on the educational system right now. I might throw out too that, you know, ADA did a study a few years ago where uh, 
only 20% of the people that come out of school uh, have had any orientation to the business world at all. <clears throat> and of that group of 20%, many times uh, a significant number of those individuals teaching the courses have never been outside the university to do a whole lot of much of anything. So the bottom line is when they do enter their practice, if indeed they go to that, to that, to that side of the house, if they do enter their practice, they really are lacking in knowledge as to uh, number one, the real world, and number two, how to interact with the uh, business world. And then they, they, they really do lack to some degree, some idea of how to interact with the professionals that can facilitate the success of their practice also. In, in, instead, they listen to some, uh, some brand new person out of a hearing aid manufacturer telling them this is what you need to do and this and this and this and all these things have to happen. And number one, these days, our ethics are gonna get compromised doing those things. But secondly, more, more than that, um, the, the person telling them things are what the corporate line is. And, and, and they need to know how to interact with the world and business to facilitate things. And we've seen uh, a number of universities kind of come across with, uh, with adding those things to their program. But it's also the first thing to go when, um, when they start having financial issues like the pandemic and some of these other kinds of things. So, so I think the business world uh, is, business world knowledge is lacking even in the, even in the doctoral level people. And, and to Nancy's point about the AUD, yes, that was a problem. But, but I remember the days in the, in the 80s and 90s when there wasn't enough time in a master's program, and you may remember this too, Nancy, there wasn't enough time in a master's program to teach all the stuff that we had to do. We had to, we had to teach them uh, uh, all of that, all the things were coming out, all the uh, different new diagnostic treatments were coming out, new rehabilitative things, new, uh, you know, all, all, all the noise and hearing conservation and all that kind of stuff, all that was all coming out at the same time. And you can only teach so many courses in a master's degree program. Now you can only teach so many courses in an AUD program as well, but at least you get a better breadth of, of the profession by facilitating some of those things. So. But that's kind of my point. No new stuff is coming out now, number one. And number two, uh, I, I question whether you need the breadth of knowledge that you stuff into four years to be a, a certain kind of audiologist. There are and some of those programs that are three, though, three years, which may make some sense. That might be a reasonable yeah. compromise, you know, but uh, but but you are, you are correct. They do come out yeah. with so much debt. And you it's make great. a great point about the lack of business training. And I think Ami made a great point in that we also have a lack of uh, uh, interaction with other healthcare professionals. And diabetes is a great one because a common denominator for some kinds of hearing loss and diabetes is nutrition. You know, when you get the high blood pressure, you're cutting off the blood flow to the inner ear and you're also creating a risk for diabetes. So um, you both make great points. One is that we need to be more savvy in business if we're going into private practice, if we're going to be hearing healthcare professionals and consider the ear, the window of the body sort of thing, then we have to be able to, we have to be equipped to interact with the other professionals de dealing with these comorbidities that Chris spoke about. 
And, and Nancy, I'll add in one more piece that you threw in, and that is, is that we need more people with a, uh, a deeper knowledge because we have, at least when I was in the academic world, we moved it to a, an adjunct model where we would bring in AUDs. And it's not to say that the AUD doesn't have uh, the right training. They just don't have a deep enough knowledge in order to teach some of the courses. And if you're going to get into these uh, comorbidities and you're going to get into uh, a deeper dive into some of the more um, exotic and, and, and more complicated kinds of treatments that are needed, you need someone with that kind of training. And that's where the PhD would come in. Well, and you also need somebody who can perform the science. I Absolutely. Mean, you, a, um, a clinical, uh, a PhD, a pure, like an auditory scientist cannot do what an AUD does, but an AUD can't do what an auditory scientist does. You know, you, you need the research training and you need the uh, wherewithal to get funding to perform the research. Uh, sort of thing. So, you know, there's a role for the AUD, there's a role for the PhD. I, I completely agree with you. So I want to, sorry, Dave, but, but also the, uh, <clears throat> you know, how tough is it to add taking blood pressure as part of a, uh, a part of a clinical regimen when patients come in? With the use of assistance, you could have the assistants do, do those things if you chose to do so. Um, how tough is it to do uh, a little clock thing and uh, if you have some suspicion that there may be some Alzheimer's going on or, or interact with them on depression? And if you know your patients, you'd have a relationship with them where you have, you're, you're, you're interacting on a daily basis or a routine basis, I guess. Um, you're gonna have some feelings for some of these things and the comorbidities, I think, will add to the professionalism that the doctor of audiology presents, as well as uh, the and and the lack of researchers and the lack of PhDs was predicted 25 years ago or more, uh, because as the AUD rose, a lot of the people who were getting the 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 research doctorates, the graduate school doctorates wanted it because they wanted to be on par with the physicians in the, in the ENT clinics. So, so that, that was predicted quite a long time ago. And, uh, and my guess is uh, we had not done a very good job of preparing for that lack of the researchers. So. Yeah, well said. And I, I wanted to actually take this in kind of two different directions because there's two two different derivatives of what we were talking about that I think are really interesting. Uh, the first is the use of assistance. I'm curious to get all of your thoughts on um, that. You know, that's kind of a hot button topic right now. And I'm curious to hear how you see that um, evolving more or less. And then the other is around the specialization. And I go back to the beginning of this conversation where Nancy and Chris were describing Amplify as a means in which you can outsource, um, you know, to a particular facet of your offering. And, you know, in my mind, much of the value, um, even if you're outsourcing, is that you're steering your patient to trusted sources. And I think there's a tremendous amount of value um, with regard to that. And so if the future of this profession is that it more or less fragments into various specialties, with the use of, you know, online tools, remote, you know, uh, consultations, those types of things. I wonder if 
that might present more of an opportunity, um, again, with the notion of it being that part of the value of seeking a hearing healthcare professional is that you are guided to the appropriate uh, referral affiliates that they've deemed to be the, the appropriate ones. So two topics that we can take in any other direction. Chris, you haven't talked in a little bit, so I want to give you a chance to jump in on either of those two as you see fit. Well, there's one thing that I wanted to add that, that necessarily hasn't been a, a part of this, this conversation, but I think is, is integral to the future economics of, of hearing healthcare. And that is the way that we are producing data and the way that we're sharing data and the type of systems that we're storing data in inside of the, the industry right now, right? So again, back to the, the uh, digital health industry at large, uh, we are opening up data. We have uh, new standards, uh, FHIR, Fast Healthcare Interoperability Resources, where the, the main uh, electronic health records are standardizing how information is exchanged and, and shared across the systems. And that information includes that blood pressure information includes diabetes, includes all of these other factors that do play into hearing health, but are behind a wall. We have our own practice management systems and that stuff's not being integrated right now. And so how that leads into the assistant, for example, uh, right now the audiology assistant is primarily trained in dispensing. Uh, how to work with vendors and how to uh, manage the systems and, and uh, reimbursements. Um, and they're not being trained in uh, rehabilitation techniques and in helping people manage their hearing care, to manage their socialization, to manage their environment. Um, and I think that that is a, a huge, the data is a huge missing piece. And there, we need to bridge that. We need to bring those systems together so they can communicate. And so that both sides, so again, we're treating the person and we're not just treating the hearing loss or the ear, okay? Um, and then, then those audiology assistants, our hearing health coaches, we are we are uh, had to adapt a version of the standard training for an audiology assistant to include uh, uh, our rehabilitation and techniques uh, that that we can then pass on to our members or to the patients that are being referred to the Amplify program, um, and that that's a problem. Right. That's a problem in my eyes. The fact that that we're not arming them with with at least a basic overview of some of this knowledge uh, is 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 a as a disservice ultimately. Um, so I'll just I'll leave that one at that. Yeah. No. I think that you you make a great point though with the the data in general, and I do think that's a big um, sort of a new development that's happened. That's really exciting. Is um, that there is a uh, you know if the notion is that data is the new oil, um, I think this industry in many ways is sort of swimming in that data, and 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 it becomes a matter of how do you make the most out of that? You know, what sorts sorts of things can you infer from all of those different connections? Um, and it definitely brings to mind part of the conversation that we had around, you know, um, cross physician marketing, you know, um, be, suddenly when you're, um, you know, able to monitor something like blood pressure or, or heart rate variability, you might then become um, elevated in the eyes of say a cardiologist. And, and so I think that there are tons of opportunities that are sort of on the horizon as the devices become um, increasingly more sophisticated with new sensors, new ways in which they can capture some of those different metrics. Um, but I think you make a really good point too about, um, you know, having to, you um, 
rethink like the use of a assistant. And I want to stay on the uh, topic of assistance for a little bit here um, and get the other's thoughts on how this particular subset of the labor force can be, um, you know, either added to, maybe that's part of the way that you can compensate for the shortfall that Amin had mentioned earlier. Um, and, and are there ways in which you can better utilize that particular type of professional in the setting? The, uh, you know, I, it, and, and, and again, here, here a little bit on the business side, you know, you, you, you build a practice and you build a practice and you build it up a little more. And the next thing you know, oh, gee, I think I need another colleague to join me in my practice. The problem is the revenue on the revenue side, there's not enough coming in to afford someone at 60 to 80,000 or so to come in and, and work with you in the clinic. There, uh, but there may be somebody that you could pay 30,000 to uh, who would be your assistant and allow you to do many more things. Now, some of us, I mean, I was lucky enough in my practice to have a, an office manager that uh, was with me for 33 years. Because of that, well, of course, sometimes those people think they know more about audiology than you do. However, the, the deal is that they can do a lot of things like, like many of the things an assistant would do. And even though we didn't certify assistants at the time, this person did a lot of that. And I think there's a, probably a lot of colleagues out there that, that use and do those kinds of things as well. The professional colleagues that are coming, uh, the professional assistants that are coming out now are fabulous. And uh, the, the ones that have gone through the specifics of the training programs for that. But as, uh, as Nancy and Amin suggest, I think that, that the, their programs need to be uh, broadened slightly to know a little bit about balance and a little bit about this and a little bit about other components of the profession to uh, provide the right kind of assistance. So I, I, I applaud the use of uh, assistance in practice. I think it's sound business, uh, business uh, strategy, as well as a, a way to treat patients uh, and, 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 and give yourself more latitude in terms of what you can do. Yeah. And uh, I'll just throw my two cents in it. Amplify, we started with the um, ASHA and the AAA training programs for assistance. And uh, we noted that, as Chris pointed out, they were primarily uh, focused on hearing aids. And so we took that as our starting point, but then we really fleshed it out to include counseling, uh, information about the standard rehab stuff, you know, managing communication breakdowns, keeping up your self-esteem, uh, how do you disclose a hearing loss, that sort of thing. We take our HHPs, hearing healthcare professionals, through a training program, and they have to have certification before they begin to be able to manage patients online. And also, we have them leading our group chats. So we create communities of Patients, you know, we try to group them together to get both homogeneity and heterogeneity. And then this, uh, our coaches lead them in discussions. Now, what I think is a particularly uh, valuable part of this model is we have an audiologist supervising the HHPs. So if they come to a, a question that they don't know, uh, then we, we bump it upstairs to the audiologist and the audiologist takes over that. 
We also have a library or a bank of FAQs, so frequently asked questions that our audiologists answer. And so the HHPs have access to this. And um, they're not just can, they can tailor it to meet the particular individual. As Bob said, getting to know the person. So the HHP through the chats and the supports learns about the patient. You know, what are their medical conditions that they're willing to share? Who are they living with? That sort of thing. And they can take these um, professionally written answers and tailor it to the particular individual. And that, you know, that's very customized patient-oriented services, but it's also economically feasible. So, you know, we, we're fine-tuning this so we can uh, personalize the information and, and make it professionally um, the high standard, and yet we're not bringing in that that additional audiologist to your practice at sixty to eighty thousand dollars. So we're spreading. I like the octopus analogy. You know that this is the audiologist, and we're spreading the arms so they can touch more people, sort of thing. Almost the old uh, military model, Nancy, where you had the the enlisted guys. You had two, three of those guys running around doing a lot of the kinds of things. You you you're the a lot of the little a lot of the routine rehabilitative things. And then when there was a question, then here comes the chief of audiology in to say, well, this is the way it is. Yeah, here comes the general. So so honestly, uh, uh, that that's a model that's been around for a time. And I'm quite surprised someone hasn't picked it up in the past to facilitate certain times and types of treatment. Um, you know, you see that in some of the some of the balance models as well for exercises that people need to do, and some of those kinds of things also. And, and I think, and and I'm and I'm not, I don't want to monopolize things, but I do think that balance is the new frontier in many respects. Uh, most places really don't have much going on in balance, and there are some very good, highly motivated and 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 well um, well trained research people um, in certain companies around the country uh, that will actually orient you and your practice and get you the equipment and do all the things to facilitate that particular that particular side of the house. My city, uh, uh, Greeley, Colorado is a, kind of in the northeastern section of the state. There wasn't anybody, people had to drive uh, uh, anywhere from uh, 60 to 200 miles to Denver to get balance assessment and balance treatment. Um, there are lots of places around the country uh, that really are begging for some good balance kind of work. So balance, I think, is another frontier we, we may want to explore over time. And, and, and I'll just really quickly add in a couple of things here. So as we're talking about assistance, you know, I may have vultures flying around me here uh, before too long. You know, there's, this, there's the, the technology of automated testing uh, and if you look at some of this automated uh, diagnostic testing that's available, uh, it's gotten better over time. Uh, it, uh, it will allow for uh, the person, an, an assistant maybe, to set up the, the patient on the, on the machine. The, uh, the machine itself has the capabilities to do speech testing, masking, and so forth and so on. And, and the validity and reliability of that has really gone up. Um, and, and going back to Nancy's model of where the audiologist is the general and, and, and oversees everything, uh, this is a perfect opportunity for that if you're looking at something that's low cost uh, to implement. And then to Bob's point with, the, with balance, which I absolutely agree with, 
you know, we've got some practices uh, not too far from here that have uh, partnered with, uh, with PTs. Uh, and so there's a shared responsibility of uh, the diagnosis and then the balance uh, uh, treatment with, uh, with an interprofessional individual. Uh, and it's not uncommon to have that with an ENT and an audiologist and some other things. So um, again, I think there's lots of opportunities here. It's just what works best for you and uh, you know, the services that you provide. And that's where the idea of the medical residency program is viable. So let's say you get your degree in audiology and you want to, you have an uh, elderly population you're serving and it will behoove you to, to become an expert in balance and uh, interact with PTs. Well, then, you know, I could envision a six month program that you would enroll in where you would learn more about the vestibular system, more about vestibular testing and even more about um, uh, interventions and how to work with a PT, maybe learn a little Tai Chi sort of thing. So absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. I think these are really excellent points. So um, we're coming up on the top of the hour. So I want to kind of come to the conclusion of this. I think this has been an awesome discussion. Um, closing thoughts, you know, what what's on your, what have we not covered? Um, or what points did we cover that you want to expand upon as we sort of close this out? Um, whoever wants to go first. I, I think this is a, a terribly exciting time for hearing health care. You know, there's some people who feel threatened or, or afraid to look around the corner, but I see it as a great opportunity. You know, the, uh, and personally, the fact that more and more audiologists are looking around for a way to differentiate themselves. And one of the directions they're looking at is follow-up care or rehab, uh, comorbidities. That's just, you know, it's a uh, something I've been working towards my entire career. So I find this a very exciting time that it's happening. Chris? What I was gonna say was, um, you know, looking at uh, kind of back to what I, I opened with, looking at the overall cost of letting hearing, uh, letting hearing loss go untreated scale, kind of what you had mentioned, um, is, is, is placing immense pressure on the, the system, the hearing healthcare system, uh, as we see it to, to change, right? And so I, I think that a, a, a larger framing of this conversation um, comes down to, uh, you know, what type of acceptance of these uh, managed care plans are we going to see? And we've seen a, a huge growth, of course, in is a, a Medicare plan uh, Part C uh, currently, which basically offers a hearing aid discount program. But that I believe, and this is what's going to define things, is, is going to morph into not just be a hearing aid discount program, but a true hearing healthcare uh, uh, offer that you can have, uh, that you can uh, get from your insurance company or uh, potentially uh, down the road from um, uh, some other either employer or self-insured uh, health plan. Um, and we're already seeing that happening with private payers like uh, that are developing um, their own 
uh, formularies, digital formularies to provide services and software that allows people to manage their care that gets reimbursed for. And that audiologist, again, in this, in this system and in, in what I believe the direction we're going, um, it, it becomes a system in which you're incentivized to provide uh, the best care to the greatest amount of people possible, which would, um, would be a great reason to have those audiology assistants trained to provide comprehensive care so that you can manage more people as that audiologist and, and have a successful practice beyond the hearing aid distribution. Mean, Bob? Bob, you want to go next? You want me to go? Oh, what, what, whatever works. Uh, this is uh, be kind to your colleague uh, day, I guess. Uh, <laughs> why don't you go ahead, Amin, and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll I, I have some, some, something I think is probably the key, but Okay. You probably have a better key than I do. You're saying best fits. for last. You're trying to save the best for last. That's what you're well, saying. Well, I don't know that it's the old guy <laughs> for last. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I uh, I just completed the health economics and outcomes research program at the University of Seattle. I got her that certificate. And as I as I start thinking about some of the things that I'm involved in, one of them is the uh, I'm cheering the ADA conference that's coming up in October not to take away from this conference, but the conference in October is completely public health based. And one of the things that, one of the conversations that we're looking at as we put together the program is what is it gonna take for audiology to make an impact in the landscape of healthcare? And the key word being impact. Um, you know, we have, we have people, we have, uh, we have tools, uh, we have services, we provide, an outcome, but those outcomes just really haven't created an impact. And so the idea here is, is that we need to figure out what that impact is. Does it come from the educational model? Absolutely. Does it come from this awareness uh, day that we had yesterday? Absolutely. But what are some other things that have to happen? And I think the biggest thing that has to happen is we have to change the way in which we practice and we have to practice beyond uh, the, the educational model that we have in place and just beyond the product. And I think if we start to do that, we'll start to see a shift in how people perceive us. And that impact then I think, as Chris pointed out with the data that's gonna come out that we'll be able to collect uh, with the, the conversation about the educational model, we will start to see that audiology is actually lifting itself to a higher ground in the future. That that feeds directly into into what I was going to say, you know. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll refer back once more to Amid's fabulous uh, uh, series on pricing in HHTM uh, a couple of years ago. the The deal with this it all boils down to the fact that if you are in practice and you are providing services to patients, you need to because you charge a high price. You need to have a high value to match that or exceed that. And the way you do that is by adding some of the things we've all been talking about here and, um, and, and, and learning more, continuing to learn, and then, and then providing some of the things that are right on our fingertips to, to enhance what you do every day with patients, like the RO rehab component that, that Nancy and Chris have been referring to, like many of the things that Amin has referred to here as well, 
but also um, the uh, things like building relationships with each and every person. You know, that builds the trust and that builds the, the loyalty for people to not only come back, but tell all their friends and they'll tell their friends and, and you will have nothing to worry about relative to your practice if you just kind of look at some of the differentiations that are out there and be able to follow some of those, some of those issues. But value to the patient is what they're really looking for. And why do I go to an audiologist? I go there because I get more than at the grocery store or, uh, or, or another practice in the community. Yeah, really well done in, in terms of how you sort of closed the loop there, because I think that was at the beginning and the onset of the conversation was Nancy's, you know, what she posed, which was just what you said there, Bob, you know, how do you, how do you justify um, somebody coming to see you? And I think it always comes back to value. And where does that value reside? Well, it resides in your expertise, in, in your knowledge, you know, in, in your education. Um, and, and so I think it's all a matter of how do you how do you amplify that? How do you make that more accessible and really maximize that? And so I think that's going to be at the core of what happens here uh, into the future. I think this has just been a tremendous panel discussion. I thank all of you so much for joining me today um, and sharing your thoughts. Uh, and thank you for everybody who stuck with us here to the end. This has been just fantastic. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.